0: we yeah.
1: Welcome to another big, big episode of the show. As always, my name is Matt from Austin, and on the other side of Texas, it's Ken from Houston. Say hello, Ken. Live long and prosper. There we go. Well, hey, we're at it again with uh, one of my favorite episodes of all time from the original series, just because of the exquisite acting given to us in this one by Mr. William Shatner himself The Enemy Within. Dun dun dun! It's funny because in the book I was reading, they called this almost a uh, not only a a tale of two Kirks, but almost a tale of two Shatners. Uh Because Because, uh, you know, you got the perfect, you know, awesome, low key, cool Kirk on the one hand, but then you also, I mean, Shatner, you know, playing playing all the right moves. You know, even in that scene that we'll get to later with uh, Rand. You know, he's playing it, like, almost perfectly. But, you know, then he's also got his, like, totally off-the-wall freak-out <laughs> I'm Captain Kirk! You know, it's, it's amazing. So, this script was penned by, uh, Richard Matheson. He was a, uh, a famous sci-fi writer at this point, uh, in the 60s. He He'd written two or three episodes for The Twilight Zone, two of which starred Mr. William Shatner himself, including The Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. He also wrote The Incredible Shrinking Man, and then based on his own book also did the screenplay for uh, the sci-fi horror novel I am Legend." Things start to get a little weird behind the ce- not weird slightly uncomfortable maybe at this point in the behind the scenes because uh, Roddenberry got to uh, at this point you know doing a lot more of the rewrites and uh, sort of pinpointing and focusing on you know character and the way things ran in the 20th century or in the uh, 23rd. 23rd century yeah. Twenty-third century at this point, exactly. Uh, Matheson didn't exactly love the rewrites, and uh, some of the producers were also saying, uh, hey, when you got a guy of this caliber writing for you, you probably don't need to touch anything that he does. For instance, uh, you know, it was Roddenberry who added uh, the uh, ticking clock of Sulu on the planet, you know, freezing it, freezing, and, and uh, everything that was happening on the planet below. Whereas uh, Matheson wanted to make it more about, you know, the two differences in the Kirk. He really wanted to give Shatner something that he could really, like, you know, go for and have a good time with. And again, having worked with him twice on Twilight Zone, he knew that he could pull it off. He was kind of even almost writing for him. You could also, but you could argue that the ticking clock in this really adds another layer to everything that happens in this episode. Not only is this a character exploration, obviously, of the captain but uh also you know at this we're getting the kirk mccoy triangle as well which we'll talk about and so really adding the uh, next layer of like we really got to figure this out really quickly
0: is yeah, really in, cool in, this episode. in uh on tv tropes the they make the observation that we really know that kirk is back not when we see that he has survived the process alive and so forth but when he says now get those men back yeah. He's in command, he's, you know, that's how we really know we've got the, the full in-command Kirk back. We wouldn't have that without the ticking clock. And it's interesting, too, as we'll probably see as things continue,
1: is that a lot of the Roddenberry rewrites work. You know, I mean, he knows the world better than anybody. He's got the voices down better. And as we as like TV goes on, this becomes more and more of a thing, you know, where you have your showrunner who's doing rewrites on scripts. And I mean, nowadays that happens all the time. But back in the 60s, I think people were a little more precious with their TV scripts. Mm -hmm. This episode was directed by by Leo Leo Penn. Penn. Sean Uh, Penn's dad. Uh, What's what's that? that? Sean Penn's dad sean Ben's penn's dad, dad exactly. exactly he was also uh, a very prolific tv uh director at the time too and would eventually go on to win a emmy for an episode of Columbo, of all things so that's exciting who knew Columbo even ever won an emmy but that's it last thing worth mentioning there's no real guest stars in this episode it's a lot of you know the cast as we already know them it's a cheaper script because almost everything takes place with the you know few scenes down on the planet you know but they already got the planet set going so we're good there you know, other than that, it's a pretty cheap script to, uh, script to produce. So, uh, uh, really, it was going to work out in their favor in that way.
0: In fact, um, one of the w- one of the questions people ask about this episode, because you've got the clicking, top, the, the the clock working, is why didn't they just use the shuttlecraft? Yeah, yeah. And the answer is they hadn't made one yet. That's, That's the, really the real answer, report. of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, in as as I think you mentioned or. Early on, when Roddenberry's coming up with what was involved in the ship, he imagined shuttlecraft. So that was part of the original conception. But we don't see them in this, in this story because they hadn't made them yet. Apparently, they were going to
1: build it for this episode. That's what I heard. And there was going to be some throwaway line of like, you know, the magnetic fields of the you know, atmosphere wouldn't allow for the shuttlecraft to eliminate it, yeah 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 I mean perfectly acceptable answer but again it was just a budget thing they're like uh, we're not going to build that till we know we're going to like series you know because they only had the short order right away to, uh, for the first 13 I think so once they knew they were going to series they would uh, later add the shuttlecraft into well I say let's not wait any longer let's uh, engage our way into this next episode Captain's log starting
0: it's five year mission
1: uh, one of the first things I wanted to say is is that as I re- uh, of course I have a lot of memories of watching the show as a kid. It was kind of always on uh, WLFLD, Channel 32 in Chicago, so it was on a lot. And one of the things that always stands out to me whenever we watch it is just that like opening little piece of music that comes on just before the uh, the, the the captain's log. You know the doo 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 do do do. You know it's always like ah yes we are getting into Star Trek now, aren't we? So I love that music.
0: You know, um, so in Star Trek Online, when you go to a new um, sector, they frequently will play that. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah, you'll just get bum, ba, bum, 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 ba, bum, bum, you get a little bit of Star Trek theme, and you know, okay, ready to go. I love it. I love it. That's a great thing. So,
1: start date, 1672.1. So, uh, so what we're are we looking, looking at there? there about, about, what'd you say, say, 500, say 500, 500
0: days? days? No, it's about 100 days after... Uh, where no man has gone before. Okay.
1: So uh, they are on a uh, geological trip. They're finding specimens uh, of all sorts on this planet. Uh, a dog with a horn, for instance. <laughs> I don't know what that creature's really called. You know what that creature's called?
0: No, it doesn't have a name. Was it in the budget? I don't, I don't think it has, it has name a name it. either. What's, What's that? that? Was it in the budget to name it? Yeah, exactly. Couldn't afford it as much things happened, happened in the... the
1: uh, 60s at this point i'm gonna see if they uh call it something here an alpha 177 k 9 there you go that's what, that's they, what call they call it, it in, in the wiki just so you know anyway so uh as they're uh, trying to beam up good old technician wilson there uh they seem to be having a problem with the transporter i thought for a second there as i was watching we were gonna have our first like major transporter accident not that that's not what ends up happening, but I really thought like we were actually going to lose one of our guys there. <laughs> there's also a really funny thing where there's just a lot of button pushing going on in this scene where like there's no music or anything. It's just them like pushing buttons
0: with the boop 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 going on. It was really like awkward for a minute, but I was like, okay. You know, I think one of the things that they realize that they they know it's awkward. So what we get in the future is more talking about what they're trying to do. I've got to adjust the you know, the Kazon compensators. I've got to adjust the thermodynamic regulator. And here we just yes. have put button pushing and we're supposed to go, hey, that's gotta be a difficult transportation. Look at, look at how many buttons he's pressing to get it done.
1: Nice. Yeah, he keeps <laughs> pressing buttons.
0: buttons. Things, Things must, be, must happening. be happening. Why does it just push the levers? There's something wrong. So much it drama and work. button pushing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. exactly.
1: You know, it's the quieter moments on the Enterprise that really matter. Shh. Okay. Anyway, uh, so uh, Kirk beams up. He appears to be fine. He stumbles a little bit as he gets down, and Mr. Scott decides to uh, walk him to the uh, sickbay, although they don't make it to sickbay, but that's where they're headed, it it appears. And even Kirk says, uh, hey, don't leave the transporter room unattended. (laughs) Would have been a good idea, especially in this case as another Kirk arrives, certainly confused, uh, he looks probably that there's no transporter chief in the in the room.
0: That's the part that confuses him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why is there no transporter chief, and why am I so angry all of a sudden?
1: More heavy makeup from uh, from Kirk. Again, it's just in the close-ups that I really see it.
0: What they did is is there's more makeup on evil Kirk.
1: It's true, There's, and he's got, I was going to mention that later, but he's got a lot more guyliner going on, you know what I mean? It's like, if you really look closely, he, he's got the dark eyes going on to show, like, hey, he's a dark, you know, he's the dark side.
0: They do several things uh, right credits. away oh, sorry. to separate them. So, yes, evil Kirk stays in his normal uniform, whereas good Kirk will go and change shirts. And yeah, they'll go his. into the, the, the green, green tunic. tunic. Mm-hmm.
1: And also, after the scene with Rand, too, there's also the whole thing with the scratches on the face.
0: Slightly different makeup, different shirt. Yep. And then he he really does, I think, a significant job of acting the two parts differently. So, you know, we we can look at some things and go, hey, maybe that was a little bit of overacting. One of the points that Rob Long makes about television, especially television of this era is that it has to be written for someone who's cooking dinner, watching the kids. You know They've got one eye on the show, but they're paying attention to something else. And if you're too yeah. subtle in 60s television, the audience is going to miss too much of it. And they're like, what's going yeah. on? I don't understand. Because I missed something because I ran into the kitchen because the beeper went off or the, the pot overflowed. You, you can't be subtle in some of this stuff. So I think part of it is... They, they really let Shatner go or maybe even encouraged him to give us an over-the-top performance because we had to be able to distinguish between good Kirk and bad Kirk, even if we just walked in the room.
1: Absolutely. Totally agree with all that. And I'm not even complaining about it. I mean, I love obviously I love this episode. It's, you know, one of my favorites. Actually, funny story. I went looking online to see like, you know, some of the like the top 10 top 20 like best episodes to see like where this one would fall. You know, Uh, I think IGN had it. I have these notes somewhere, but it was on my phone and I forgot to put my phone by me. But uh, I think IGN put it as like number eight or something. It was seven or eight out of 20. A couple of other places didn't even have that one on their list but then crap I wish I could recite the source now because it would make so much more difference but the uh, 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 one of them had the top 50 best episodes of all time of, of, all, all, of all of all Star, Star Trek. Trek it was wow, the top best 50 best episodes. episodes of Star Trek right it's a really cool list I definitely have, you know if you like Google that you're gonna find it like that you know there's obviously uh, a lot of the highlights on there were the ones you would guess from the year of hell for instance from voyager and uh you know the uh the ds9 one where they go back with the tribbles you know a lot of these are on the list you're gonna find them uh but they actually had this one ranked number 15 in the top 50 so i was like yes i feel good that i have uh, always enjoyed this episode i feel good about this one
0: well it's got so it's got a lot of the themes that are central to what star trek is like what does it mean to be a person
1: yeah yeah And a good good person person or a bad person, person, you know, it really really sets sets up those those things, things too. too. I mean, who are
0: you? Are you just your good side? Do you need (laughs) your bad side? You know, is because it turns out neither one of those is the real Jim Kirk. Jim Kirk is both of them together.
1: And as McCoy goes on to say that's a you know, everybody is that, you know, both the good sides and the bad side. And it's how you balance that. That makes you who you are.
0: So this is part of the core Freudianism that's going on in Star Trek. Of course, Freudianism is kind of you know peaking in the '60s as a, a way of interpreting the personality. And Freud argues in many different ways, uh, both in terms of good and evil, like civilization and its discontents, that we have to sublimate our our bad our evil Kirk side in order to get things done to live in a civilization. We're constantly sublimating. The bad impulses but even in terms of his personality theory where you've got the ego's job is to manage the superego and the id which both want to run off in different directions and you've got to keep that all, a healthy ego is keeping that all in check and that's what this show is about credits
1: boom then back from credits stardate 1672.1 again um it's funny because in this one he says, little did any, any of us know, a duplicate of me has been beamed aboard. I'm like, did he record this in the future? Did he backtrack? He's like, uh, I didn't make any logs while any of this is going on. I best, <laughs> I best better go back and fix it. Again, I'm sure it's much like you were saying. It's like if you were to miss you know, what happened earlier in the show and you're just tuning in then, you got to know what's going on. But it was just funny. I'm like, this doesn't seem right. Uh, also in the scene, if you notice, there's a slight goof uh because there's There's no no emblem on his shirt when he beams beams back back aboard aboard. uh it was a dry cleaning accident it's because they went to go take them all to be washed and uh, they took the patch off and then just forgot to put it back on for the scene but don't worry it comes back later yep oops (laughs) uh the ensign at this point returns to the transporter room he uh sees kirk here asks if anything's wrong kirk just kind of stalks off without saying anything gives him the wild eye you know meanwhile uh nice kirk returns to his quarters with scott you know, basically tells him, uh, hey, everything's cool. Don't worry about me. But it's interesting at this point because he calls him Engineer Scott, right? So we know now officially he's the engineer. And yet he is also in charge of the transporter because <laughs> apparently the engineer is, I think, he's better to do uh, with his time than spend it all uh, beaming people beaming up and down as well.
0: Down. It is a very engineeringly technical job. <laughs> apparently. A
1: so uh, Kirk lays down, and it's really funny because he, like, lays down in his, you know, you can see the key light that's, like, supposed to be showing on his face, you know? But it's just funny. I would not be able to sleep with a big shining light in my face. That's all I could see. Um, so meanwhile, we cut to the, cut to the, uh, there's a lot of back and forth cutting in this episode. But, uh, so we cut to the uh, med bay, and in the med bay, uh, Dr. McCoy is taking care of uh, the geologist who fell. Wild Kirk comes in, demanding the Saurian brandy. Uh, Apparently Bones is also the bartender in this one. There's no 10 forward yet. So I guess he's uh, in control of uh, all of the, I guess that's non-Synthahol that Bones has got his hands on.
0: Well, I think one of the things is we've kind of established um, in the past that that Bones has some alcohol. He already had that scene where he, you know, talks to Kirk and he's got the alcohol, pours the drinks. So... We know it's been established that he's got a stash. The other thing that's interesting is evil Kirk has come to the doctor. He's come to to Bones. And then yeah. where does good Kirk go? To, to his room, room. Go to bed. Well, but the first character that he goes to see is Spock. Good yes. character seeks out Spock. You know, bad Kirk seeks out McCoy and the alcohol. Interesting. Uh, so then he
1: he stalks off and,
0: and he's, he's like swing
1: he's swigging the brandy. I just love how like he's
0: just, like, <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. just <laughs> it almost. <laughs> it's
1: great. It's, it's just great. It's just great. I love it. it. Uh, and he finds himself in front of Rand's quarters, which I thought was funny. There's like little name plates in front of everybody's here just so in case you need to find anybody. Anyway, uh, name plates. I thought that was funny. Very 60s looking name plates as well. I might add. He enters her quarters because that's a thing that you can do, I guess, if you're captain. Uh, i like it he kind of like scoffs at the paintings i don't know if she was painting those or if like Like, she picked them up somewhere art is ridiculous (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) i mean he just scoffs at him so badly badly. i love it It's (laughs) it's great meanwhile after an apparent shower kirk is in his quarter spock arrives another uh shirtless kirk in this episode it got me wondering and maybe you know the answer about this but like is this a new thing, you know, like guys running, walking around with their shirts off on television? Is that always a thing that they were able to do?
0: Yeah, I'm trying I don't to remember, remember even if any, any black, black and white, and white that, that I've, I've ever seen
1: it. with shirtless guys.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's the 60s, and you know, it's the era of beach movies. So I think it would have been perfectly kind of G-rated to have a shirtless Kirk. And but, you know, they've got a handsome star, they want to show him off. <laughs> True. And I, I think that's what it's really about.
1: Also goes to show you the difference between like, you know, what was sexy in the 60s and what was sexy, you know, what's sexy now is, you, know, you know, now, now Kirk could be, be like ripped, ripped, you know, with yeah. like abs and stuff. And there he's, just, he's not, I mean, he's not in bad shape, but he's, you he's, know.
0: He's basically just a fit guy. Whereas today. Yeah, he's, yeah, a, he's a fit, fit guy. guy. Exactly. 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 T- today to have that job, you would be working out 24-7. They, they yeah, would call exactly. you from the gym because you had a scene to do.
1: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, so Spock relays that McCoy was worried about him. You know, this crazy Kirk version comes in and, you know, stalks off with the brandy. Kirk just plays it off because he doesn't know what's going on. And he's just like, eh, must have been a joke. <laughs> must be. I, I'm, I'm here. I wasn't there. I didn't do that. So, must have been a joke. I'll tell him you were properly annoyed. <laughs> And then at this point, then Kirk and Spock are called the transporter by Engineer Scott. Uh, This is now where he's in the the green tunic, which is cool. Is that like his, like, lounging gear? Uh, It's not like an official shirt. I don't don't know. It must be like Picard's, like, suede jacket that he had or something. But duplicate animals were beamed aboard. But he doesn't call them dupes, actually. He says not dupes. They're opposites. This one's mean. This one's, like, totally fine and, like, passive so uh this kind of sets up now where we're at because now we're really starting to if we hadn't figured it out before and now we have totally figured out what's going on be- uh with the transporter we can't beam up the crew uh because if this should happen to a man <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is it a little a little, little leaning little, in on that one a little
0: dramatic irony <laughs> yes exactly,
1: exactly so uh back to janice's room she's like you know looking at herself in the mirror wild kirk skulks behind you know her partition and then this is when i was pointing out his heavy, he because you can really see his eyeliner in this episode and uh so the scene is uh is a little bit creepy even by today's standards you know it was the first first of its kind on tv obviously matheson said this about this scene and he's like he really wanted to show you know how how deep kirk was into it you know he's like a, it couldn't just be killing somebody you know a grizzly bear would do that on instinct for survival but this is uh this is more than that it's calculated which i think is uh, it is and again it's part of what makes the whole scene creepy
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> there's also this interesting little like except for the everything that's happening is like super creepy and sexual that's happening it, there's this really funny moment where uh kirk is like uh no don't call me captain jim will do and she's like oh like, wow, okay. sorry rand all right hey all right cool so uh as we see so as you know he gets her on the floor he's trying to attack her she scratches him in the face again so we can tell them apart and uh she gets up now this is this is the director's fault it's not the character's fault because, again, it's all that's in the room. So, but the director should have put something better in the room for her because she goes to hide behind the easel and, and the, theme, the painting. Like, like this yeah. is going to protect her somehow. somehow. Again, the character in that situation, that's what she's going to do. But a, a director might have put something a little bulkier maybe there, like a, a, an extra chair or something. She could have even Healed wheeled in the, the chair or, chair or something. Or something. Right. But, but the easel, I just so felt like, like eh, I don't know about that. So uh, they get into the scuffle. It ends up going out into the hallway. Wilson's walking by. He gets, uh, tries to sound the alarm when Rand yells, cool, Spock. So he tries to get on the phone and then just like one, like, and it's a vicious punch. It's off screen, but it's just a vicious punch that Kirk puts on him. Just like, He was like, ooh, <laughs> that is massive. So evil Kirk then goes to hide in his quarters right like a scared predator i think i think it's his quarters but anyway he goes back to like like a predator to like regroup and you know like gain his energy back meanwhile kirk and spock find out what happens to janice obviously of course kirk is very confused he's like no this wasn't me i didn't do this Uh, look i don't have the scratches you know he's like getting really upset about it because he really feels like she's like you know making an unthink but then the technicians there by the way everybody's technicians in this one too they're not like ensigns or anything they're all called technicians uh, but the technician's in the room, and he's like, no, I saw you too. And then leave it to Spock. That logical bastard figures out what's going on. We have an imposter aboard. Dun, 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 commercial break.
0: This is a one of the areas where we see that everybody gets to really play up with strong emotion. We see it, obviously, Kirk is doing it because he's playing the evil Kirk as well as the subdued good Kirk. But Janice gets her, you know some really good you know opportunities to really act in in this scene where she's being confronted by the guy who she believes attacked her and we'll see it with with bones with Spock. everybody really gets some good range of acting in
1: yeah, yeah, exactly uh, Spock and McCoy do later. you know it's funny I don't know if I was going to bring this up, but since you mentioned that it's funny because there's a there's a, a story that Grace Lee Whitney where uh, is a story that she tells where she was really worried that whether or not she was going to be able to generate the emotion for that scene. And so Shatter slapped, slapped her. It. And no. then she She's was like, oh, boom, right, right there. there. I oh, was right. like, that's not only awful, <laughs> but something that would never happen on screen, you know, these days, at least without like permission. Well, you want me to slap you? I'll slap you if that'll work. But uh.
0: They're in a early, you know, uh, what's the, the school of acting? Marlon Brando. Method. method. Method, yeah. I mean, I think there's a certain... Let's try the method. Whack! <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 at least it worked. it worked. And, you know,
1: even she says, like, to this day, like, if we hadn't done it. I don't know what I would have done in that scene. I was afraid of whether or not I'd be able to get the emotions. But, uh, I mean, yeah, she, she again, she even says that, like, finding this, or uh, being able to do this episode was really fun, especially being able to work against, you know, William Shatner and blah, blah, blah. She really digs this episode. This is always one that she points to as one of her favorites. Well, back from the commercial break, it is stardate 1672.9. The team trapped on the planet. Uh, Whoops. Sorry. The transporter is trying to, uh, the people in the transporter are trying to fix the problem. Kirk is really like, you know, not only does he want to get his men back, but now, of course, he realizes the situation he's in. So this really doubles the urgency that he has in this this scene. Even as, like, the good Kirk, he's still pretty, like, snappy with everybody. Like, we got to get this figured out. But Kirk's judgment is already starting to wane, you know, and his focus, he's starting to lose focus. hes he, You'll see him, like, start to drift off, and, like, Spock will pull him back in, which happens much more as the episode goes on. It's a lot more of Spock being like, hey, pick <laughs> up and come back, back to it. it. <laughs> which brings me to an interesting memo that Gene Roddenberry wrote about playing with that dynamic of the two sides of Kirk. He says of the good Kirk, well... I should mention that in uh, earlier drafts of the script, there was a good Kirk who is much more like the Kirk we know now. He, he There wasn't a, a, a big difference. And, uh, and Roddenberry wanted a much more diverse way of showing the two different Kirk's. So he says that decisiveness would be one of the first things he'd have trouble with. And he would probably have some difficulty making decisions that endangered others, like the men left down on the planet. So if his alter ego is is bad and disdainful of life and the safety of others, then the real crook would probably probably possibly be overconscious of the safety and the comfort of others. Important, however, his intelligence would tell him something is wrong and he would struggle against all of this. So in other words, this allows him to play Uh, allows us to display the problems of the real kirk uh, but having him keep something of the hero figure even in this strange state he will be making a valiant fight to stay in command of himself which is funny because that's also then later what he uses to you know bring evil kirk back from the brink of death you know he's like think think man you know and then kirk starts thinking and you know all of his vitals go up again so then, uh, again, as Kirk is losing his focus, as things are happening, Spock, which I might add is in a very blurry shot in this instance, uh, steps up to tell Kirk, you know, that uh, he, they can't let the crew know what happens. Uh, he says, "You can't have the luxury of behaving less than perfect." So <laughs> you know, it's funny. But...
0: Go ahead. Uh, this is um, one of the themes we've now seen it in in half of our episodes that the the captain has a burden. And maintaining the burden of command is this important thing, and it's difficult, and you got to work at it, because if you lose it, you know, it's, it's central.
1: Yeah, great. Just what he needs is for Spock to heap it on some more, you know what I mean? Thanks, I've already got this pressure on myself, I don't need you telling me! And Sulu's got a
0: family, and Jones has a new baby, and you know... <laughs> Exactly. exactly. We
1: have to protect exactly.
0: them. Ensign Johnson just got a puppy.
1: <laughs> Who's gonna feed it? Sp- he even tells Spock then at the end of the scene. He says, "If you see me slipping again, just let me kn- let me know. You know, keep me on my toes." Uh, we get another star date, one six seven three point one. Uh, but he makes his announcement over the thing. You know, saying, "Hey, there's an imposter on board. You can tell his difference from the scratches on his face." And then, wild wild kirk in his quarters starts to lose it i'm captain kirk i'm captain kirk i love it i'm not even doing it with justice it's just so good i love it and it's funny because i kept assuming this was his these were his quarters except that he then goes over to the mirror and he finds a little bottle of foundation on kirk's you know kirk's desk which makes me then wonder if like make maybe the whole makeup thing was like purposeful you know like shat, or, you know like captain kirk just likes, likes to wear a little makeup <laughs> around the ship or something you know
0: guyliner for the win we you know it's so important to be in command they can't believe that you're imperfect in any way and that includes skin tone <laughs> right? acne
1: nope yeah acne exactly no pimples on the face no you gotta be you gotta be great so we see another uh, technician wilson i think again or maybe this is a different one. I can't keep them all straight. Happens by Bad Kirk. Bad Kirk. Uh, oh, yeah. So I remember now. So this technician is walking by. This is Wilson, the the, the, the black guy who is helping Scotty in the uh, transporter room. Uh, he happens by. Kirk. Uh, Evil Kirk tells him to give him his phaser. And then, boom, credit chucked in the neck. And Wilson goes down. Meanwhile, dire straits on the planet. Thermal heaters were sent down, but they too were duplicated. And so because they were duplicated and separated in some way, those two didn't work. Not sure how that works technically, but that's what happens. Spock finds out about Wilson's attacks. attack. You know, asks uh, good Kirk, well, where would you go if you were, uh, you know, going to go hide in the, uh, in the ship? And Kirk says, we got to go to the lower levels. So for the first time, we see the engine room. They also have the cool phasers now, finally, too. They don't have the the crazy little ones. They got the awesome trigger phasers with the neat little circle front on them. I love those. Uh, Anyway, engine room. What do you think of the engine room back then?
0: You know, uh, they're having to imagine uh, an engine room with with so little to go on. You know, later on, not, not only do we get real engines, you know, like in the sense that, you know, we, we know how they actually go to the moon and we see more rocketry, real rocketry. Um, we get to see, you know, the, the inside of nuclear plants isn't a state secret. But we also get, every time a science fiction show has to come up with an engine, that's an iteration. And, you know, by the time you're making the 20th science fiction show, you could look at 20 different engines and go, okay, what's the good ones? What's the bad ones? What worked? What didn't work? So now you make an engine you know, for a show. And it could be really cool. And these guys are, in a lot of ways, you know, painting antelope on their cave walls to figure out what these things look like. Right. And you say, you know, it's pretty good. It's not as good as, as you know, what we do now in Next Generation and, yeah,
1: you know, Yeah, and all the rest of them. But, yeah. Well,
0: you know, it's funny because, so
1: they talk about, you know, in the making of book, they're talking about how, they're using forced perspective in this to really make like it to make it look larger, to make it look like you know this is a room that seriously takes up a lot of the bottom of the ship. But it's funny because for me, even as a kid, it never really worked for me. It doesn't seem super vast, right? And I was wondering if this was just because I mean, part of it's '60s television, probably. But I was also wondering, you know, for me, Star Wars '77, '78, growing up, watching all those making ofs and seeing what they did in those movies, that just maybe like. I was just too cool for effects. You know, like I just really understood what things could look like, what they should look like. And so for me, it just never really worked. And I know that's, again, probably just from the time growing up. And I'm sure in the 60s, it looked totally cool. It's actually funny too. A lot of this like sci-fi making of knowledge. This is a random story I just remembered. But that I uh, uh, I actually lost a, a friendship over this because like I – I don't know. All I remember of this fight that I had with this kid was that I, uh, that we were talking about some show and I was like, oh yeah, you know how they did that. They used this puppet and they blah, blah, blah. And like, he got really mad at me. I guess his younger brother was there too. And got like really mad at me for like, you know, sort of like breaking the illusion that, you know, it was all fake or something. And I'm like, but doesn't everybody know this like don't you know that not only is this not real but that like this is how they do things and blah 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 i guess i was just too practical for my own good even as a little kid <laughs> no i know the people who do the voices for these things shut up it's just it's real it's a cartoon okay anyway there's the attack uh we got the two kirks like circling each other we get a lot of like body double shots from like over the shoulder and whatnot because, you know, obviously today in computer animation, these scenes would be really easy. So uh, it comes down to a one-on-one. And it's really interesting because, you know, Kirk, good Kirk is basically like, you can't kill me. You kill me, you're going to die. You know, we need each other. He's trying to, like, really sell him on the idea. Then, of course, we see the first use Vulcan, of the Vulcan, the Vulcan, the Vulcan, you know, nerve, nerve pitch. Pinch. Uh, so Spock takes out pinch. Kirk and right to the ground, but not before he shoots. And then he shoots, you know, some part of the uh, engine. We later find out it's the transporter, but,
0: but I think that's, that's supposed to tell, tell you that like
1: bad Kirk, Kirk was going to kill a good
0: yeah. Kirk. Yeah, I mean he like, had a to kill. Yeah. He was he was ready to go.
1: Yeah,
0: it's interesting. So, um, do you know the story of the Vulcan nerve pinch? Well, I know that uh, Leonard Nimoy didn't want to get into combat. He didn't feel like his character would scuffle, and so he right, needed exactly. a way to engage. Too barbaric in for combat. a Vulcan. That wouldn't involve a bunch of pista cups and roughing it up, and right, right. there is yeah. no Vulcan so martial actually, arts. <laughs> apparently,
1: apparently, apparently. So, uh, actually, Nimoy went to—he didn't go to Roddenberry. He just went to the director of the episode and said, "Hey, wouldn't it be really cool if I did something like this?" And of course, always game, you know, to try something new. Shatner was standing right next to him, and was like, "Do it to me!" And so, you know, boom—he does it to Kirk. Kirk falls right down. Blah blah. blah. And the the director is like, "Yeah, yeah, love it. Let's keep it." What's funny is is that afterwards, you know, Roddenberry was like, I love it, I think it's a great job, but next time you got one of those things, come to me. Because when we have a series like this, these little things can, you know, start like a domino effect, where suddenly things are way changed, and people, you know, characters are suddenly different. You know, it's funny, I think, again, nowadays, they're okay with that. You know, you know it's, it's like, okay, hey, we're, we're going to let the characters, characters grow, grow, blah, yeah. blah, well, blah. But certainly in the 60s, a lot more things were very status quo. You know, things had to be back, back to the way, way they, they were, were at the beginning, you know, know at the, the end, end of the again, episode. So right. the beginning.
0: So there's two kinds of TV in the 60s. There's episodic television, where everything reverts to where it was at the beginning of the episode by the end of the episode. Or if something happens, we forget about it and we never see it again. Or there's soap operas, in which there's a continuing story, Tune in next time to see if Martha will find out who has stolen her baby. You know, these kinds of... Yeah. You know, and other shows didn't want to be like soap operas and didn't know necessarily how to create an extended story, create a universe, create a lived-in kind of, well, thing. you know, people grow and things happen and characters develop. And it's not a soap opera. It's just yeah. real life.
1: I don't need- I I personally can't remember that happening until, like, the 90s. You know what I mean? Like, unless it was Dynasty or Dallas or, you know, again, one of the soap soap operas. I really – yeah, I mean, I really feel like 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 it's, like, almost almost Buffy the Vampire. I mean, Twin Peaks even, although Twin Peaks was sort of considered a soap -er opera just because – Yeah, just because they didn't know probably what else to call it, like, you know – So it's not even really until, like, 95, 96 when you get to stuff like Buffy and, uh, you know, some of the other shows of the era that you really start getting those, like, through lines of television shows that aren't soap operas.
0: Yeah, I think it is with Buffy that you really develop the idea that there's going to be an arc to this season. And part of it has to be the business of television in which, you know, we're going to make our money by putting this into syndication and we're going to lose control over the order in which they're shown and people are gonna see him in every, or they're gonna miss episodes. TV can't work with a through-line story because if you miss an episode, you don't know what's going on. And the audience has to be okay with that. So if you're watching Buffy and you miss an episode, you understand, I missed an episode, stuff happened, I don't know what it was. And when all of a sudden Willow has magical Mm -hmm. powers, you're like, oh, I gotta watch it because I see, you know, I'm missing stuff. Whereas here, you know, in the 60s, if characters changed, you're like, what the heck? What are you doing? (laughs) The audience wouldn't
1: be open to it. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm sure a lot of it, too, helped with the, like, uh, the the, the invention of, like, the VCR, you know, where people were then be able to, like – So, I mean, I remember even mom, you know, back in the day was, like, recording General Hospital every day so she didn't miss something and, you know, watching them later at night. And the idea
0: that these things were still out there so you know i mean there's a point in television in which if you miss it if you weren't there on wednesday night watching the show it's gone forever yeah absolutely you have no control of ever seeing it again yeah
1: in, in, unless, unless you it caught it, it maybe, maybe it reruns that they, they happen to show that episode that summer it.
0: or something you know yeah. yeah and i remember you know when you were in high school you would like read the tv guide you would study it and you would know what was on and <laughs> well, I don't want to miss anything right, exactly. because I don't want to miss anything but that's how sure If I can't be there, the VCR is going But that's how it worked You had to study yeah. up You had to make an investment Absolutely. Because you couldn't control Absolutely. it You couldn't say, oh I missed that episode I'm just going to Netflix it or Hulu it Or, or I, I record them all Or it's on my DVR
1: I know, we have it so easy now It's so nice The DVR is an amazing invention I mean not unlike the VCR in some ways except that you have it's a lot easier to set your timer to go off every week and you don't have to worry about accidentally taping over something.
0: And the yeah, the storage space is much
1: yes. And you don't have to keep those video tapes.
0: <laughs> That's also <laughs> nice. I still have like, like in my, in my storage, storage, storage unit room. I
1: probably still have like 25 video tapes. Oh, I don't right. know what I'm going to do with them. You probably have some awesome commercials on them though. I should probably like upload those to YouTube. <laughs> All right. So in sickbay, they decide to bind down, bind the his evil self uh, since the effects of the tranquilizer are unknown. What will it do to him? Does he still have the same body chemistry? Is it less? That's is it more? more? We don't know.
0: know. Well, I also get the sense uh, that he is exhausted and that they're yes. worried about like, well, he's already in this exhausted state. A tranquilizer might, you know, uh, you know, give him, it's like you're, you're mixing your alcohol and your, your tranquil, your sleeping pills. <laughs> you don't want to yeah. do that. <laughs> you know, today, this they're is one of the things that. I thought about is that Today, if we saw, you know, if they put this in next generation, we would get a lot of techno babble about the because we know more about the brain chemistry and about so we'd have Dr. Crusher going, well, this particular hormone is down and this particular hormone is elevated and you know this techno babbly thing you know is also showing more synaptic activity and you know we would feel like oh there's some medical stuff behind this and then it gets harder to talk about how your tranquilizers unless you said something. Well, uh, cordaral three doesn't work with with inhibited, you know, so you know this kind of synaptic activity because, you know, reasons, and we'd all nod and go, okay, yeah, we can't use the, but you know, well, let's use the next one. Certainly, you've got one that'll work. Oh, yeah, I do. Yep, yeah, I got a million of them, and here they just have to go. Don't know how it's gonna work, and we're all like, yeah, how, how could you possibly know how the brain works, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Craziness.
1: <laughs> Ronald D. Moore used to say that, you know, part of like what Battlestar Galactica was was not anti Star Trek, but it's anti techno babble, you know? It's like you know, they'll have a throwaway line where it's like, well, we just can't do that. And then they'd move on you know what i mean And he's like it was just it was so different from next generation where it's like well let us spend the next three or four pages of dialogue explaining why we can't do this 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 and this using technobabble, blah 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 whereas you know he, for him he was just like nope that's just not a thing we can do sorry let's move on so here spock has his uh first big you know dialogue about comparing you know the 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 two sides of what you earth people would call uh, the good and bad side, you know, uh, the bad side being hostility, lust, and violence, where the good side would be compassion, love, tenderness. Um, I kind of like the way he breaks those down there. You know, it kind of gives, again, a real good clue as to what, you know, wh- who has what and what's driving the two sides of the, the Kirk character there. So another thing here that happens behind the scenes is that uh, Nimoy says, uh, Nimoy feels like the arguments with McCoy are too much. Too much. Mm-hmm. You know, know, he feels like like they are, uh, like, just out and out, like, attacking each other. Uh, It's funny because, obviously, in retrospect, again, that just becomes part of what we love about, you know, the Kirk-Spock-Triang-Kirk-Spock-Bones-Triangle. Kirk-Spock-Bones-Damn-It! But, (laughs) but uh, 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 I mean, I even think here that it comes, later it comes off a little more playful. You know, I think that between the characters, but I think here it is almost a little bit more hostile uh, again, they're finding, they're finding each other. They're finding the characters and all
0: of that stuff. But I, 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 here it almost becomes a little bit too much, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it when they walk up to the line. Because I don't necessarily subscribe. I don't think it, it makes good drama to subscribe to Roddenberry's rule that in the future people don't fight. I think we, yes. we, we need those episodes where, where McCoy's going to say to Kirk, you push, you know, you promoted him too fast. He couldn't handle it. I'm putting it in my log, and you know, I'm not bluffing. You, you think you could bluff me? You know, those kinds of, uh, and and again between you know Spock and McCoy here, where you know Spock's doing his analysis, and then McCoy's like, "Damn it, this guy's breaking down in front of us," and you're doing some kind of, you know, twenty thousand feet analysis of the human condition. Have some, you know, compassion man. And then, you know, yeah. Spock basically has to turn to him and say, If I if I seem like I'm cold, that's just the way I am. Those when you push the characters, you get interesting stuff out of them. Yeah. yeah. I also think no, I agree too. And you know, and, you know if
1: well I mean, you know, talking about next generation, you know, uh I remember back in the day that when uh I can't remember the episode. But anyway, it was the episode where it, I think it's when Kirk gets taken by the uh they're <laughs> three lights. What's that episode? Oh no, yeah, the Cardassians. The Cardassians. He gets taken by the Cardassians, <laughs> and they put, put Jellico in so charge of the, uh, of the
0: of the Enterprise. You so know, right? it's but like
1: somebody we're not used to, a different you know, a different captain who runs everything very differently than Picard does. Like, I mean, that that's I remember that being like in a fabulous episode, just because you're like, look at the way the characters now have to interact when we have a different guy in charge of everything,
0: right? I think you get to see the difference between the judging functions of of Spock and McCoy. So, you know, as I mentioned, I think all the characters are of the Guardian type in in the uh, the Myers-Briggs model. But Spock, as an extroverted thinker, and McCoy as an extroverted feeler, are going to be in conflict because any extroverted thinker also will engage in introverted feeling and that extroverted feeler will engage in introverted thinking and so they don't share any of their judging functions so they're going to look at each other and go you're doing it wrong what do you you know cut it out yeah you're you're a bad person stop it and so i think that's one of the sources of conflict which obviously the writers weren't thinking in terms of this dynamic but it explains why McCoy and Spock don't get along and can't explain why a a Kirk has a greater simpatico with Spock, even though I think he also understands and ap- appreciates McCoy better. There is a simpatico that he has with Spock, and I think it's because they're both extroverted thinkers. Mm-hmm. Did, Did you say, say Spock, Spock was an extroverted, extroverted thinker or, or an introverted, introverted thinker? thinker? No, he's an extroverted thinker. But his dominant really? function will be uh, – um, Uh, introverted um, sensing. He's an ISTJ. Oh, okay, I got you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. okay, that makes sense to me. I got you. Uh, Here's where we find out that the uh, shot that uh, randomly Evil Kirk took uh, when being uh, brought down by Spock uh, took out the transporter. So that's no good. It's a good thing, I guess, later in uh, the next generation when they have like six of them on board and uh, we don't have to worry about one failing. 'Cause we got a couple of backups. Everything is going to be fine. Um things on the planet are looking bad. Uh Scott tells us that he can't fix the transporter because the ionizer whose it's what's it doesn't work. And uh it'll take at least a week. I don't know what to do, Captain. Commercial, commercial. commercial. dun 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 <laughs> we, we We come back. back. The yeah, uh Star Date is now one six seven three point <laughs> Exactly. Stardate Star is date now is one six seven three, three five. point five. We're back down on the planet. Sulu is in surprisingly good mood for how uh, dire his situation is. I think this is when he's heating up rocks with the phaser, but he's still uh, cracking jokes down there. That wacky wacky Sulu. Sulu. Can you find Uh, us a
0: long rope and send down some coffee?
1: Yeah, that would be great. Uh, And then we immediately cut to uh, the screaming Kirk, right? Here we go. You chew that scenery, uh, Shatner. It's great. Evil Kirk is dying. But Kirk uh, – so this is really cool. So we got we got evil Kirk, and then we got good Kirk there holding his hand. Um, now, of course, again, nowadays, putting those you know two people – putting the same person side by side is not a problem. But back then, what they actually had to do was film it one way with like half of it not being – the exposure being taken out of, then go back through and cover the one side that was already exposed oh, and rerun it. Oh, wow. So, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so it was, it was really – Really painstakingly difficult to get, you know, you know those, those two, two scenes, scenes right. right. But, but uh, so, sure so enough, I, it, looks it looks great. great. Yeah, you can't even yeah. see the line really.
0: Although so we, have we have to wonder how much of
1: area that area may have been touched touch up down, in the remaster, I guess. Stuff. But
0: right, yeah. You know, it's interesting because again, to refer to Rob Long, uh, he, you know, he's talked about how at this at this period in time, doing these kinds of shows where you'd have. The character who meets themselves, whether it was um, Major Nelson you know having an evil twin or genie making you know two genies, or genie having a sister who just has dark hair but looks exactly like her, or you have no. uh, what's the, the I can't remember the name of the show where she had an identical cousin. <laughs> that was the premise of the show: Oh, oh um, yeah,
1: yeah, with, with uh, uh,
0: another an guitar.: right? Yeah. Or, uh, I, get, I can't remember the name of it. Hayley Mills? The was, at
1: it the, what?
0: What? Hey, was it Haley Mills? I forget who. Who was the actress? Oh, oh it, it, well, Haley Mills was, was
1: in The Parent Trap. trap.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, and uh, Nifunuchillo was flying, flying, flying none, none, none though, wasn't, wasn't she? No, that was Sally no, Field. Oh, my God. We're all over the place oh, now. I'm just going to Google. We've lost control of our 60s ladies television.
0: And Google says, They're cousins. Oh, Crazy cousins. Patty Duke. Patty Duke! Patty Duke! It's the Patty, Patty all Duke show. Actors, we named you know, like every other you know, actress, but The Patty the Duke, Duke show. Because they're you
1: know, cousins. You know, all right, anyway.
0: <laughs> That's right. So doing this wasn't necessarily, you know, showing off new technology. They They've been able to do it for a long, long time. So it's interesting to hear how difficult it was in this particular scene to have the character meet each other. Right. Well, well, well I, wonder I wonder if maybe, maybe there, was there was
1: a way... 'Cause they really sure do seem to do like an awful lot of it, don't they? In the sixties. Yeah, and, the
0: 60s. and it goes back even before then.
1: Oh yeah, 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 clearly. Hmm.
0: Right. Well, I mean, they may have had a problem on Star Trek doing it, but
1: Yeah. Well, maybe because too, like in most of those shows they don't like touch each other. That's right. If they yeah. were holding yeah. hands They're in this one, there might then, have been they might, might have had, you had to do it by. that way.
0: Yeah, you can have them like walk up to each other and go, so it's you. It's yes, you. exactly. You
1: know? With a clear line right down <laughs> the middle. Let's
0: hug. <laughs> no! <laughs> <laughs> the world's gonna explode! Your matter, battered matter. So this might be a time to talk about how this is not a Evil Twin episode entirely. So we do kind of have an Evil Twin thing going on. There's an imposter, Kirk calls him an imposter. Yeah. But That's he's really not. not most, of most of the episode, episode. yeah. Yet, but he's not truly an imposter. He is actually Kirk himself. What we have here is yeah. a Jekyll and Hyde scenario. Yeah. Typically in the Jekyll and Hyde, you're either Dr. Jekyll or you're Mr. Hyde. But here, we get both of them at the same time because yeah. one of them's an evil twin. So it's both tropes, two tropes in one. Two, two, two tropes in one. <laughs> two, 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 two tropes in one.
1: <laughs> Well, it's funny, too, because they, you know, they almost revisit this in Mirror Mirror, you know, where we've got not only do we have evil Kirk, but we got evil Spock
0: with the beard, the goatee. And they reverse it in Voyager, where they take Tuvok and Neelix and they put them together.
1: I don't Um, remember that. (laughs) There's a lot of Voyager I don't remember. I'm not going to lie. I love Voyager. I mean, I remember the episodes that I watched. Like, I almost loved every episode. But there's... Somewhere, Somewhere after, after 7, and 7, and 7 and 9 shows up, 9
0: I'm 9 like it was for me it was Very little 7 on. and 9 that I kind of, you know, it's like you get to a certain age and you just got things going on and watching him yeah. guitar. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. All right. So, uh, Kirk, this is when Kirk takes a moment to have a crisis again. Like he's he knows that he needs to get evil Kirk back into his body, but at the same time he doesn't want him back. You know, I think he's seen a part of himself that he doesn't like at this point, and he's like, eh, I don't know if I want or need that. But uh, Kirk, or but McCoy hands him my shot glass again from the same episode. From a, it's like they took it off of, off of uh, what was that guy's name? Ah, we just watched that episode. Bar Barlock. Oh yeah yeah. <laughs> Anyway, it's his same <laughs> shot glasses. Mm-hmm. Like, like, this just must be the shot glass of the future or whatever, or the drinking glass. Anyway, whatever. So McCoy hands him the, the glass, uh, and he says, uh, you know, we all have a dark side. We need it. Uh, it's human. Part of, what who, uh, part of what makes him also makes you the man you are. Heaven forbid I should have to agree with Spock. <laughs> but he was right. Without your negative side, you couldn't be the captain, and you know it. Your strength and command comes mostly from him. Your side in goodness, intellectual logic. It appears it appears in the half that you have right now. But uh that's where man's essential courage comes from. He was afraid and you weren't. I love that. This is also kind of an opposite too, because we see the good side now rejecting the bad side. Before it was the bad side rejecting the good side, now it's flip-flopped on us, so we get to see both sides really get to see both sides of the of the of the fight here.
0: One uh-huh. of the other uh features or one of the insights of um using personality theory is that we don't like to see our unconscious functions one of the easiest way to piss somebody off in a conversation is to point out their unconscious functioning and they'll typically get very angry we don't like it we don't want it pointed out we don't normally see it we deny it and so uh that's what in a in a sense that's what's going on with both of them they look at each other and they go I I don't like seeing that I don't think about that I've only I'm conscious of who I think I am I don't want to think that I'm that too
1: yeah I mean I love that exploration in this episode of you know the parts of yourself you never want to think about you know it's like (laughs) sadly for me those are the moments that like pop up when I'm like trying to go to sleep you know what I mean Hey, remember that time you were a real you know you were a real dick to that girl? girl? <laughs> you're like you're like, I'm trying, I'm trying to, to go to sleep. Why are you bringing that up now? What am I gonna do with that information right now? I'm just saying you should have treated her better. Shut, Shut up. up! I didn't mean it. Uh it was pure selfishness, I'm sorry. Anyway, okay, so um boom to the transporter room where we where uh Spock's like, we we think we can do it but there might be a 5.5 difference in the velocity balance.
0: Yeah, so this is our first real techno babble.
1: Yes, exactly. Well that and that <laughs> makes, makes no so sense either on a, on a transporter. transporter. Right.
0: So, yeah. What does speed have to do with
1: getting the transporter working?
0: Up till now, our technical talk has has in a sense been simplified to make sense to the viewer, like his engines are overheating. Okay, I'm with you. And any use of any kind of scientific jargon was very, very mainstream up till this point, and here we get our right. first real techno babble. Not only are they talking as though they've got a science language of their own, but it really doesn't make any sense. Later on, of course, by the time we get to Jordy and the things that characters have to say in Next Generation and onward, it w- I mean, it, it will all be internally consistent. It will seem to make sense, even if they're talking about nothing. It's not really babble. Here, techno yeah. babble. Well,
1: and two, I think a lot of that stuff is like hypothetical ideas that, you know, scientists have now. Well, we think in the future we'll be able to create a warp field like this. We think we'll be able to, you know, use phasers to do this or, you know, create a phaser by this and blah, blah, blah. So a lot of that makes much more sense. Again, probably stemming from the fact that, you know, they talked about it in the you know, in the original series. All this stuff that they're developing now is stuff that, you know, in the next 20 years until next generation comes out, people are, you know, actively developing how would we do a warp field how would we yeah it's fascinating
0: and i think there's also the question of how much is star trek a a hard science fiction show versus a soft science fiction show and of course there, the idea that this is wagon train to the stars or that it's really a police procedural that just happens to take place in space that's all very soft sci-fi right an episode like this which asks us, what is the nature of the human psyche? Even though the, the science here is psychology and hence a soft science, the, they're taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. The other thing we're taking seriously is the notion of what kind of crazy stuff could happen with a device that literally turns you into energy and then makes you a person again by turning you from energy back into matter again. That's some right. weird stuff. In one sense, you die every time it happens, and then a new copy of you is created. So I mean, there's weird stuff that goes uh-huh. on. Yeah. yeah, And they're exploring that. So in, whereas up till now, we've had <clears throat> some really soft science fiction. Here, I think we're, we're groping towards something that's harder.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I also think, too, I mean, I know, again, they hadn't really developed it, but in the last episode, we hear, you know, Bones say that he never trusts the transporter. This would have been a really fun episode for them to be like, see, this is why I don't trust this thing. <laughs> it would have been fun. Lost opportunity. Can't, I mean, nothing you can do about it, but it, was, it would have been fun. So they decide they're going to transport the dog down, the two dogs down, and uh, see if they can put them back together. Uh, again, a few more dozen seconds of, you know, buttons being pressed and nothing, you know, no talking going on. And then, Boom! The dog comes back, but he's dead. And in fact, this is the first utterance so of, he's dead he's Jim. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Also, also another we dun-dun-dun moment or, where we uh, go into a going commercial, commercial break. break, break but... <clears throat> I love it. So, you know, here we are, what, like four episodes in, production-wise, and we've already heard, you know, I'm, a, I'm an escalator, or I'm a doctor, not an escalator. We've heard, you know, he's dead Jim. So it's like, so it's so it's like oh, boom, you Fascinating. You know, What's that? Fascinating. Yes, exactly. We've heard all of the like typical stuff we're used to hearing. The only thing we haven't heard is you know, "Beam me up," or you know, any of those.
0: I cannot change the laws of physics.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I'm waiting for that one. So we come back from the commercial break here. Spock does the log this time. Now here is an inconsistency when it comes to the uh, to the star date because Spock says that the star date is one six seven three point one. And in the earlier one, Kirk had said it was 1673.5. Oops. Yep. yep. Nothing to be done. Just a no- thing that, you know, part of my job is to find. We find uh, Kirk's force of will is fading. Somebody actually uses that line. His force of will is fading. This is also here where we get our big thing that we've been talking about already. The, 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 the triangle scene between Kirk, Spock, and, and Bones. Kirk listens to the two sides. But it, but because he's not who he is, you know, he's 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 wishy washy Kirk at this point. Uh, instead of choosing, he just kind of agrees with both sides. Oh uh, well, yeah, yeah, it would be good if we were to uh, double check everything. No, Spock's right. We need to uh, go ahead and uh, and go forward with the transporter. So
0: one of the other features of Star Trek that is a theme we'll always kind of focus on is that Star Trek is not about you know good versus evil. There's no one right answer. Star Trek is always about two competing goods. And so it's easy to put one good in Spock's mouth and another good in McCoy's mouth. And they're both saying legitimately good stuff. You know, like whether it's it's in this case, we got to protect the captain, you know, it's too risky. We got to think about the men down on the surface or whether it's, we need to turn off the computer, but wait, these people seem to be living a happy life, but they have no freedom. Mm-hmm but they have no you know, uh, self-control. It's one of the themes of Star Trek, that there's not, not one right answer. There are only trade-offs. Anyway, I think it's at this point where Spock says, you know,
1: being split in two halves is no theory with me, Doctor. I have a human half, you see, as well as an alien half, submerged, constantly at war with each other. Personal experience, Doctor. I survive, I survive it because my intelligence wins over both, makes them live together. Love that. A little more insight into, you know, what's going on with the uh, old Spockster there.
0: Yeah. Although, again, to, to go to the Freudian observation, that would be true for all of us. We would all be struggling with the socially approved side of ourselves versus the darker side, the lusts, the... Um, you know, for Freud, mostly the lust. But all of the discontents that we're trying to civilize within ourselves...
1: Finally, you know, they turn to Kirk and tell him to make a decision. But uh, when, he, when, when they push him, he says, he, he yells. He's like, I want somebody else to make this decision. And then Spock says, is this where you would like me to take command, Captain? And he says, no, nope. no, nope. no. We're going to do this. Let's go ready the transporter. Bones, you go continue the, uh, the autopsy. We're going to do this. We cut to Sulu again on the planet. And he's losing it. You know, he's not even making any sense. By the end of like the by the end of the conversation, he's like words communicator, captain, cold, penetrating. I'm like, whoa, oh, wow. All right, Zulu's really uh, gone over the deep Not that I blame him. If I was cold, I am not good cold. I'm really whiny when it's cold too. So I can only imagine how that how he feels there.
0: And of course, we don't really know how cold it is, because the one thing they tell us at the beginning is that the planet gets down to 120 below and of course that doesn't necessarily mean where Sulu's at that could be some other you know that could be based on the readings we took when we first got here and it was you know hundreds of miles away that could be you know a long well, of time down, uh, between now and then before we're going to hit that 120 yes, exactly. so we don't know what's going on really we just know the characters are cold
1: and again in another there's also a point too I think it's when they beam the dog down, where like you can you feel Kirk giving the exposition. What? No, we've got to get those men back. It drops to 120 below there. You know what I mean? It just feels like he's forced to deliver this like awkward line of exposition, which again probably goes back to the whole '60s things, like you were saying, where like you know, hey, let's keep let's keep let's reminding everybody what the trouble is down on the planet, just in case either they've forgotten or they were in the other room when it happened,
0: yeah. or they came home late, or yeah. There's no oh well we'll just rewind for you, Dad.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. During the first part of the season when these when these episodes are all airing, uh it's actually on it from eight thirty until nine thirty. So it's weird. So you can imagine people were watching, you know, I dream of genie or whatever, you know, from eight thirty to nine and then boom, nine o'clock they switch over to the the Star Trek, you know, the show we're talking about. So so Kirk decides, uh, like, we got to go do this. We got to do this now. I can't let these men suffer anymore in the thing. So he, in a vastly wrong move on his part, uh, decides he's going to unbind uh, the evil Kirk. And he plays a feint, right? He's like, no, I'm too tired. I'm, I'm not going to attack you. My, My feeling, feeling is anytime, anytime anybody ever says that, that, they're going to attack you. Shoot.
0: I think that's what's-
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Evil Kirk uh, beats up good Kirk, wins the battle, changes shirts. Puts scratches on the other uh, on the other Kirk's face, right? Still a thinker this evil Kirk is. He goes off. He's going to head to the bridge. He runs into Rand on the way, in this really like creepy weird scene that also happens there. He's like, hey, "Don't worry, Rand. I'd like to explain all of this to you." <laughs> this double come up. It was a bad. Scene. I'll tell you all about it later in your quarters. I'm like, I'm like ah, "Don't <laughs> let that happen." <laughs> Evil Kirk takes command of the bridge. By the way, Funny Face is there again, sitting at uh, navigation. uh, And he orders them to leave the planet. Everybody questions, you know, Evil Kirk. But he's like, no, we're going to do this. We can't save these men. Let's get out of here. Spock's like, okay, are you sure you want to do this? Orders Spock back to his, you know, science station. But luckily, not a moment too soon. Kirk, good Kirk and McCoy uh, come off the turbo lift. Kirk's got the scratches on his face. They're both wearing green now, so... (laughs)
0: So now to tell them apart, How what will they've done tell them apart?
1: Yes, exactly. Well, luckily, they've made bad Kirk really sweaty. <laughs> that's what they've done here in episode. You can make sure you tell them apart. Especially in those close-ups, he's just like,
0: Oh my oh God, God, I can't. I'm so hot. I can't do
1: it. It's going to be bad.
0: Well, of course, Spock has already figured out that the guy who just you know, came off the bridge, that's not the real Kirk. Kirk does not leave his men behind on a planet. You know, he's telling everybody to fire. He's like, shoot him. Shoot him. What are you doing? Listen to me. Like he's
1: totally giving himself away at this point. You know what I mean? He's like, no, kill him. You do it. Fire on him. What are you doing? And then he attacks one of the guys, and it's just like, <laughs> oh, okay. You've just given himself away. So then they cut to the close-ups of the two, right, of the goodbye and the bad guy. And like I said, evil Kirk is all, like, sweating buckets. You know, he's got the guy liner going. And the good, you know, good Kirk's. You know. Uh, and he's got, like, dramatic lighting on him, too, right? It's all dark, and, like, half his face is lit, you know? He's like, no, I'm good. I'm the good
0: Kirk. <laughs> anyway, So. <laughs>
1: And then he gives the, he gives the,
0: I want to live, I want to live, which to
1: me is like Brad Pitt's like, what's in the box at the end of uh, se- uh, seven, you know? They subdue him, give him the, they, now they decide to hypo him, I think, here at this point. They must, because he's slumped over, because by the time they get him to the transport, he's just like slumped over, leaning over a good Kirk, you know? The tension mounts. And now more forever minutes have passed by. It seems like minutes pass by as we, as more button pushing going on and then boom resolves and Kirk returned whole again. Gives that line, just like you said, where he's like, let's get these men off of this ship or back onto the ship. Boom, boom, boom. I guess intellect is everything. That's kind of like what the moral of the story is, so I, I guess. guess. I you know know that intellect from both, both sides. sides.
0: So one of the things that's often misunderstood about the Freudian theory of personality is that the ego is the intellect, and its job is to be aware of itself. And so a healthy ego knows where it ends and somebody else begins. Where, so you don't make demands on Yeoman Rand that are inappropriate because you know she's an autonomous person with her own rights and her own you know, autonomy, and I'm over here with my wants and we have to negotiate because I'm aware of who I am. And it's the unhealthy ego that doesn't know where I end and you begin. And we have codependent relationships or abusive relationships, or I'm solipsistic and I think it's all about me. And so when people use ego in the colloquial, they're often referring to a very unhealthy ego. Whereas here, what we're seeing is the healthy ego is someone who's very strong on the boundaries, knows where they are, and that other people are autonomous. And uh, so I just thought about that. Up.
1: So they get, the, they get they get they get they get Sulu and the crew back on board. Uh, a little bit of hypothermia, a little bit of frostbite, but they're going to be okay. And then that's when Kirk uh, says, uh, "I saw a part of myself no man should ever see." So uh, we cut back up to the bridge. Uh, everything's back to normal. They're ready to get underway. But then Spock <laughs> says the most weird, inappropriate. Weird. I just wrote, ew, Spock. That's what I wrote because he just says to Rand, well, well the, the imposter, imposter had, had some, some interesting qualities. <laughs> like, <laughs> of all the people to say that to, why yeah. are you going to say that to Rand? It's
0: totally awful. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And then uh, that's it. Then Kirk flies away, ready to set off on another mission. Done,
0: done, done. Our geology work is done here. We're leaving.
1: (laughs) Yes. Let's get out of here before something else happens. A couple last things here worth mentioning. Uh, First of all, in 1965, this episode cost $193,000 to produce, which in today's money would be $1.4 million. (laughs) So that's a lot per episode. There's not a lot of, well... No, I won't say that. That's just a lot of money per episode. Uh, also, at this point, uh, Star Trek's new producer at the time, Gene Kuhn, wrote uh, to the director of film productions at NBC requesting that, <laughs> requesting that they stop changing the color of Spock. <laughs> they kept fixing his coloring. So he's like, people from Vulcan are supposed to look yellowish. So the sallower, the better. Just make sure that starts happening. So it's like, oops, another one of those things from the 60s. You're like, is this supposed to look like this? Bad lighting on the day, I guess. Uh, another interesting thing is, is that because, uh, Leo Penn kept, uh, ended up going over budget and not over budget by a lot, but more so over time, a lot of his over budget was due to, you know, pushing the days a little, you know, an hour later, they even got into day seven. It was only scheduled for day six. So here we are three episodes on the can that doesn't include the original pilot, three episodes in the can. And all three of these directors would never tr- return again to, to do, do Star Trek. Trek. <laughs> so, so Oops. oops. Uh last thing worth mentioning in a behind the scenes stuff is, is that uh the uh guys at NBC thought maybe we should wait a while to show this episode because we don't want people who have you know are just tuning in for the first time to be seeing the captain in this way. You know, we probably should wait till there's a following and blah blah blah. Well, because of all the other post-production problems that they were having, this episode ended up airing fifth in the series. So just another last little interesting tidbit there. And then uh I think that calls it for me on this episode. Any uh final, final thoughts,
0: thoughts from, you, from you, sir? No,
1: I think we've got it all. All right, another awesome episode to talk about. The next episode would actually be the first episode to air in the series on NBC, and that is The Man Trap. So uh get your
0: uh get your <laughs> salt monster <sighs>
1: Yeah, so I was going to say, get your salt cubes ready as we go into the next episode, because you're going to need them. So on that note, uh, signing off, as always, this is me from Austin saying goodbye, and Ken saying goodbye.
0: Peace and long life.
1: That's right, and we'll catch you next week for another awesome episode of Star Trek, the original series. (laughs)